Proverbs chapter 18, let's begin in verse 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the heart mighty apart, excuse me, keeps the mighty apart. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this set of verses, Lord. We know that they are inspired by the Holy Spirit. They are a part of your word, Lord. They, they are eternal. They will outlive the heavens and the earth. Lord, continue to cultivate in all of us a reverence and a sobriety related to your word, that it's holy, that you desire deeply for us to have, to have reverence for it and to have, allow you to have its place in our lives how you intend, Lord. Help us to build our lives upon your eternal word. Give us a supernatural love for it. Help us to obey it by your grace and by your power. Father, you hate hypocrisy. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to never be actors, that we would never hypocritically act that we are something that we are not, both publicly and privately. And we commit this time to you. We ask that you set it aside for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, once again, we're at a passage where it's talking about, in some ways, not the whole chapter, but in large parts, talking about our mouths. And again, we just can't relate to that problem. It's other churches that deal with that stuff. It's not us. We're like, come on. No, we all deal with this. We all have issues with our mouths, and we have issues, many issues. But God has so much to say about it, and he has the power by the Holy Spirit to come in and help us with our hearts, because that's really the issue. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I spoke a lot last night. I yelled a lot last night. I was at a 30-year reunion, class reunion. <clears throat> 30 years, wow. And it was so loud, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs just to have a normal conversation. My, my voice is a little hoarse as a result of that. And, uh, but there are many people saying a lot of things. <laughs> you know, when you're at a reunion like that, there's people that haven't seen other people and people want to give updates and everybody's sharing things. And, and um, it's, there's just so much diversity related to uh, what anyone says at any given moment when they're talking about other people. And we have to be very 
careful about that and careful to, to the, how we speak and what we say and all those things. And again, it, it, it just, I think back so often to all the things that I wish I hadn't said. We rarely regret not saying certain things, but we usually regret things that we did say. And that's why we're told to be very careful and be slow to speak. And in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. We have to be very careful about our words and what we say. But we don't have to worry about controlling our tongues if we focus on controlling our hearts and our thoughts and the things that lead to our words because our words are just an overflow of what we think and the things that are coming out of our hearts. So he's, he's talked to us so much about this, but he has so much other things to say in these verses as well. And he's talking about so many things related to how we're supposed to interact with people. And sometimes people say, well, the Bible's just not that practical for today. Like, what Bible are you reading? I mean, come on. It's so practical. It has so many things in it that are just exactly for today. So I'm thankful for Proverbs. I'm thankful that God um, revealed these Proverbs and inspired the writers to write them by the Spirit. So verse 13, he's, again, he's talking about the tongue again. He says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Have you ever done this or have you had someone else do it when um, you're thinking about an answer and you're saying the answer to something before you can even hear the question or even hear the concern? Very quick to speak, very fast to give opinions and, and assume that you know what that person's saying. And I've done that so many times in my almost 23 years of marriage where I think I know exactly where my wife's going with this. I think that she is, I've heard this story before, and trust me, she's heard a lot of mine over and over again too. And you think that you know where it's going. It may not be a story, maybe a point that they're making or something that they're trying to share. And before we can actually hear the whole thing, we give our answer, we give our quote, here's the air quotes here, wisdom, um, related to the situation and we completely misjudged what that person was going to say. Again, slow to speak. It's very important to listen. Listening is a lost art. And I think one of the most godly people, the godliest people that I know, usually are very careful with their words. And they don't, they're not necessarily have to be where they hardly ever say anything at all, but they're very, their words are measured. They, they care about what the effect is going to be on the recipients of what they say. And so they're very careful, and they pause, and they wait, and they think about before they answer, and all the things that I can't relate to, <laughs> or all the things that I'm growing in. Um, but that's, it's, he gives us the wisdom right here. When someone, before you can hear something in totality, don't answer. Don't give your opinion. Don't give the response. Whatever it might be. Because he says, look at the end of verse 13. It's folly and it's shame to you. Now it says that even if you don't think that. <laughs> you may not think it's folly and shame to you. But God says that it is. And, and, it's, and it's futile. And it does, it's counterproductive at best. And shameful at worst. Because a lot of times the things that we say we thought was going to be perfect for what they needed to hear but completely the opposite. Have you ever had that where you answer before and it's actually the opposite of what they need to hear and you've already ruined the whole moment of them sharing it being vulnerable. Many times they're vulnerable in sharing those things and you've just completely ruined that moment. 
The best counselors are the best listeners. And so often as we listen, we don't answer, we're hearing. Some, so often, and especially in the counseling times that I've had, they usually, if you listen well enough and long enough, they usually sometimes just come to their own conclusion and they, 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 they come to the answer that you would say anyway. And oftentimes they're coming already knowing the answer, but they just want to have someone hear them out and have some empathy with what they're going through. We all need that at times. And they just, and it's so much better. How, when, it, when someone comes to the right answer themselves, we think of our children, those of us that have children or grandchildren, when they come to the right answer themselves, it's a blessing to us. And it's a blessing to God. When we are there for somebody and they are sharing their heart and they're pouring out their heart and we just listen and we're there for them and, and without us having to say anything, just by our love and being there and all of that, they, they realize by the Spirit the answer to it. And then we can reaffirm them and that they've, they, they've come to the right conclusion and we can encourage them in that. We, so often we rush these things. And, and, all, and also, and I'll just say this, related to people that are very familiar to us. I talked about our spouses and everything, but it could be anybody else that's familiar to us. You know, we have to be careful that when we listen to people, it doesn't have to be a close loved one or someone that we're close to. It can just be someone that we just listen to that's in our lives. We have to be careful to not look at their worldly status or their place in, in life or... Um, just the kind of the human way or the natural way that people esteem them or anything or kind of we're listening but we're not really we're listening in the context of where they're coming from from a natural perspective or from a humanly perspective and God wants us to be on a higher plane and be on a spiritual plane related to what we're hearing and 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 God's word backs that up second Corinthians chapter 5 verses 16 and 17 reveals this Paul, speaking by the Spirit, said, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, you have to think about Paul, because he was just so, before he came to Christ, that's all it was about, of who we are according to the flesh, what we've accomplished, our spiritual accolades, our accomplishments of who we are, and all of that, and who the who's who of Jerusalem and the Sanhedrin and all of that. It was a complete work of the Spirit that he could write, that from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we have to understand, no matter what context we're in, whether it's a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, a, an unbeliever, um, someone in a great position of authority, we have to treat everybody equally, fairly, and listen and not answer before we've heard the matter and be thinking on a spiritual plane, what is it, God, that you want me to say? Why am I here in this moment? I thought about this a lot last night. <laughs> uh, why am I here in this moment, talking in this conversation and, and trying to leave in here? You know, you're two, sec two feet away and screaming at the top of your lung. But we, we have to ask, Lord, what do you want me to say here to this unbeliever? What do you want me to say here to this CEO of Petco or, um, you know, uh, who, the Pope? Or I thought, what, do I, what would I say to the Pope? Nice clothes. You know, I don't know. I have no idea what I would say. 
I would hope that I'd be led by the Spirit, you know. Um, but, who, you know, someone influential. Or take it the other way, someone not influential. Maybe, maybe someone that the world has forgotten, the world has cast off, the world doesn't care about, and we want to treat them differently. God says, no, we need to treat everybody the same, and we need to listen to their whole story. Listen to what's on their heart. Give them time to really bear their heart. And the more vulnerable they are, this is very important, the more vulnerable they are, the more opportunity for ministry exists. It's just a general principle. The more transparent and open and, and unguarded somebody is, the more capacity we have to make an influence in their life, whether it's a believer or an unbeliever with the gospel or whatever. So we have to recognize and pay attention. Are they bearing their heart? Are they really opening up? And, and, and if, I need to be very careful because the extent to which they open up their heart and they're vulnerable is the extent to which I can do damage if I'm not careful and I answer prematurely and don't, don't listen to their whole situation and be able to answer in a spirit-directed biblical way. Verse 14, he continues. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? This is interesting because he's talking about what sustains us. Our true self is our spirits. When we die, if the rapture doesn't happen first, we're going to lay down this tent and we're going to get a new body. And, and it's kind of like, you know, you're driving in your car and it breaks down and you get out and you start walking and then eventually you get into another car. That's kind of how it is. Our, our tent, our cars, our automobiles of our bodies are going to break down eventually and our spirit's going to come out and we're going to enter into a new body our real self is our spirits so he says in sickness our body is failing but yet we can still have a sustainability that originates from our spirits because we can be in good spirits we like to say we can be in good spirits even though we're going through something physically or mentally or emotionally or just in our circumstances we can still be in good spirits but if we have a broken spirit, there's nothing the irreducible, there's nothing more irreducible than the spirit. You can't go any further deep down in us than our spirit. So he says, if that's broken, who can bear that? You know, often you'll be in a situation where there's a person's fighting for their life, they're in the hospital and and they're sick, they're in danger of dying, and you'll hear some doctor or someone say that that they have they just have no will to live at all they're giving up and that could be a great thing because they may be assured of heaven they may be comforted that their family's there and that they're going to be they're going to graduate and they're going to be with the lord and you know it's a great thing to be with the lord but it could be a thing where they're not submitted to the lord they're not saved or they're not in a relationship like they need to be with the lord and they're just depressed and down, and there's nothing that can happen to make them have that fight. You can't make someone have that fight if it's not there. There's other times where a, a doctor can say and come in and say, I don't know what's keeping them alive right now. I have no idea. I mean, they should, they should have died already. And you see the power of the Spirit. You see the power of our spirits. And, and it's, it's so interesting. We never know what's going on inside of a person and, and broken spirits are so heartbreaking to see. And God sees it more than all of us do. And it breaks his heart more than, 
it breaks any of our hearts. And so he says here, the broken spirit, who can bear that? And Jesus wants us to be extensions of him in this world because in reality, the Bible says that people don't have active spirits in their bodies. They have a spirit, but they're, they're, they're dead, we're told, in trespasses and sins. They're spiritually dead. doesn't matter how, what they say. doesn't matter how they say they communicate with God, all those things. The God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true and the living God, he has set it up to where if we don't come through Christ... Where our spirits aren't alive. They're not operable in the sense of communicating with God. Once we receive Christ, he makes our dead spirits alive by the Holy Spirit who comes inside of us, and then we have that relationship with God that we are intended to have. That's what he wants for us. So he's called us as believers to be able to preach that gospel so that their spirits can come alive, and then they don't have to have a dead spirit or they don't have to have broken spirits anymore. And he's given us that message. He's given us that task, that commission, that great, great privilege of being ambassadors for Christ in this world. That's our mission. That's what he's called us to. And we have to cooperate with that. He's called all of us to obey that great commission, to be equipped to be able to share our faith with somebody else, to be able to share how they can come to Christ, to be able to lead them to Christ, and then bring them in to be discipled and have them grow. That's what he's set all of this up for in part, is for us to be able to help people with their broken spirits. Verse 15. The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Now this is, over how many times have we heard him talk about wisdom and knowledge and, and being prudent and all of that? And If we only needed to be mentioned once, he would have mentioned it once. But the fact that he says it over and over and over and over again tells us that we don't seek knowledge and wisdom, his knowledge and his wisdom, to the extent that he wants us to. And we have to be reminded of that regularly. The Apostle Peter, inspired by the Spirit in his second epistle, talked about the fact that he was reminding them of what he was writing to them. And he said, after I depart, I'll make sure that these things are brought before you in the future because we forget. And at any given moment, we may not forget intellectually, but practically speaking, we stop applying God's word. And if we stop applying God's word, then it's as if we didn't even believe it mentally or agree with it mentally. The important thing is, are we obeying it? So we need to grow in acquiring his knowledge Growing in the Word. Many radio station programs are, are called something about the Word, growing in the Word, that kind of thing. But to grow in His Word, to grow in knowledge, not just intellectual knowledge, but knowledge that comes by experience of, of walking with Him, obeying Him, and doing the things He's called us to do, that is an expression of wisdom to, to do that. Verse 16. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Now, this could be interpreted a couple different ways, and you can decide if, which way you want to believe it, and if it's in line with how I say it should be believed, you'll be right. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But one way that you can interpret this is, because the word gift there in Hebrew is the, you that's used, that's the word that's commonly used as bribe. 
Now, God doesn't endorse bribes. In fact, we've seen in this book that he speaks against it many, many times. So he's not for bribes. So if it's, let's just take it as it means bribe. A man's bribe makes room for him and brings him before great men. So that can be a statement of fact of what happens in this world. So he could be saying to us, don't be surprised if when you see that, it's not of me. You know, it, it does happen though, and you know, you shouldn't be a part of that. Or you could take it this way. A man's gift, meaning his influence, his godly influence, makes room for him and brings him before great men. So you can take it either way. I think both lessons and both interpretations are, are said elsewhere in other parts of Scripture. So it's, you're not on bad ground, whichever one that you fall in line with. Verse 17. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. More instruction and exhortation and encouragement and wisdom related to the tongue. Now, what, how does this, what does this look like? What's the picture? Let's just say a neighbor is over at another neighbor's house talking about their other neighbor. And he's there and he's saying, hey, this neighbor, he's not putting away his donkey like he should. And, you know, every time I see his, you know, his donkey out, I know that he's just in his house. You know, this past week I saw his donkey out in front of his house all the time and not put away and everything. And he was totally irresponsible and everything. And all of a sudden that neighbor just comes up behind that neighbor and says, <clears throat> excuse me, are you talking about me? Oh, oh, yeah, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. You know, a totally different picture now, totally different uh, disposition towards that person because he's there. We talked last week about gossip and slander and all that, so he's building on this. And then he says to him, the neighbor that has the donkey, he says, well, I was ill all week long. I couldn't put my donkey away. And my wife's been ill, and I've been trying to take care of her. I've been trying to do the best that we could with taking care of our donkeys. Sorry that it offended you, but, you know, you didn't really have the whole story. That's a good example of, of this. One, you know, one person says something and seems right, you know, but it, it doesn't, you don't get the full picture until you hear both sides of the story. You know, the, the rabbis of old, the Jewish rabbis, when you would come to them, and complain about another person, they would immediately go like this and put their hand over one ear to visually signal that the other person isn't there to defend themselves, and that person would get the hint and would stop and stop saying those things. And so we have to recognize that we have to be fair like that. It's there, when you hear one side of the story, that's why in our culture, when you think of the news and all the different websites and blogs and all of that, and there's something called confirmation bias. Who's heard of this? Anybody? A few of us? Confirmation bias, where you look for news outlets and ways to get your information, and you're only looking for ones that confirm your already existing bias. You're not interested in looking at any other, you know, receiving any other input from contrasting or different points of view. And when you're wanting to look at a matter fairly, it's very judicious and wise and prudent to look at all the different input um, related to a, a matter. Well, it's the same way with just relationships. And, and when we hear something, we need to really make sure that we've heard the whole entire story, especially from the person that it's about. We need to get their opinion. But often, 
what, what's, what's it, um, what's that saying that uh, um, a lie travels halfway around the world before the truth gets its boots on or something like that? And we have to be very careful about things that we hear and things that people are telling us and all of that as we looked at last week. Um, but we have to look at the whole picture and get an accurate assessment of the situation before we come to a conclusion. And I've, you know, walked with the Lord almost 30 years and have been in a lot of different churches. And if, if, if everyone in the church did this, there'd be a lot less problems related to conflict and things because we just don't wait till we hear the whole story. And there's, we have to realize in any given situation, there's maybe 10 or 15 different possible reasons why this thing didn't happen. And we're thinking, this person should have done this. They should have done this. There's no excuse for it. But we don't realize that we're not walking in their shoes. We don't know their circumstances. We don't know what's going on in their lives. And that's why we're called to give people the benefit of the doubt, to be gracious. You know, we're told that love hopes all things, that we're supposed to believe the best about people until proven, I mean proven, proven, otherwise, and we get the whole entire picture. So this is wisdom for us. God doesn't want us to, you know, suffer as a result of hurting other people. We don't, he doesn't want other people hurt, of course. But he doesn't want all the problems that come into play by the fact that we won't do our due diligence with taking in all the information before we come to a conclusion. And if it has nothing to do with us, we don't even maybe even need to look into it. If it doesn't concern us. We say that to our kids, or at least, you know, when your kids are little, we say that's none of your business. You know, sometimes. And it's true. And we have, you know, that's for us too. There are times where it's none of our business. And, and we have to recognize there's a place for us recognizing this doesn't concern me. I remember reading for the first time in the end of the book of John. I can't wait to get there when we go through the gospel of John. Where the apostle Peter um, is concerned about John the apostle. Because John just, or Jesus rather, just had told P Peter, when you're old, you're going to, you know, someone's going to lead you where you don't want to go and talking about how he would die and, and everything. And that was, that was actually very gracious of the Lord Jesus because he said, when you are old. So he was, he was basically giving him some information that you're, you're going to live for a, a, a ways longer than what you're living now. I mean, how, he, if it were me, I'd probably say, Lord, could you define old? You know, but um, that's me and that's the problem. That would be a whole other lesson that everyone in the world would learn because of my little statement there. But, but at that point, though, he, Peter says to, about John, well, what about him? And he says, what is that to you if, if, I, if, he's, if he's alive until I return? Or, you know, and, and so it's, it's good for us to recognize that we need to keep our noses out of other bus others' business that maybe we shouldn't have our noses in. And, and, but if we are supposed to have our, our life in the middle of that situation to get the whole entire story, and, and that would be wise for us to do. Verse 18, casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. Now, in the Old Testament, God was okay with casting lots and, you know, the, the erm and the thummim, however you say it, with the, you know, the stones that they would the high priest would have and they would they would be able to get God's direction as a result of those things and and we see it even in Acts chapter 1 before they were baptized with the Holy Spirit they they cast lots and all of that so it was something that was sanctioned in the Old Testament but you don't see that after the baptism with the Holy Spirit Jesus said in the gospel of John that he would lead them into all truth directly by the Holy Spirit they didn't need to have any kind of casting lots or any of those 
things. And so in those days, contentions would cease. They would have a dis- disagreement. You'd have mighty uh, landowners or mighty people that were disagreeing about a situation, and they would cast lots, and they would settle it. And so these mighty, um, these mighty people, mighty men, they would be able to be uh, divided or, or have the boundaries set for them so that they stay in their own places and there's not contentions anymore. So that's likely where that originated. Verse 19. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. You know, in a castle or a citadel, you know, where they have the bars. I remember going to Israel and they had this, I forget what it's called now. Um, it's, it's a castle there. that It's not part of the biblical history, but it was a part of Israel's history. Um, and it, they have these bars you know, we're over the windows and everything, and they have the little holes where you, all you could fit is an arrow through them. So you could shoot the arrow with being totally protected where you can't get hit by an arrow and all of that. So he's, he's saying that a, 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 being offended, a person deeply offended, a brother that's deeply offended, is very hard, and this isn't probably a word, but unoffend, you know, to help them not be offended once they get to that point. It's very difficult. And a strong city was a city that, see, all this imagery is how the cities were. They had these citadels. They had these walls that had holes in them with bars. They had all these things to protect a city. And he's saying that it's very difficult to win back a brother that's offended than to conquer a very well-guarded city or citadel where it's completely um, encased in protective uh, architecture. And so that, that's true. And so he doesn't want us to be offended. And he doesn't want us to be offending people. And the wisdom here for us is to, again, it goes back to the tongue. It goes back to our actions to be careful what we say, careful how we treat people, be very careful about how people can take the things that we say and so forth. And, you know, it's a mindset to try to not be offended because we can, all of us can be easily offended at times, and often we are reacting to people's looks that they gave us. I remember in school, you know, they gave me a dirty look, you know, they hate my guts, and you're coming to a whole conclusion about, there were, oh man, last night, there was a woman there that was so mean to me growing up. I, I was all through grade school with her, all, you know, she was mean to me, and I just stayed away from her, um, I'm sure I did say some things that probably helped that out, I'm imagining, uh, knowing how I was. But, um, you know, I, I was really wondering how it was going to be when I saw her. And it was, you know, I could tell that she really felt bad about those things. And, and that, was, that was great. But, I mean, the dirty looks and the assuming the worst about people. And they did this because of this and reading into that. And, I'm, you know, all those things is, is not the way that our lives are supposed to function and the church is supposed to function and, and our families are supposed to function because we have all the resources to live above so much as believers. We have God's resources, endless resources, to be gracious, to be patient, to put up with things, to overlook things. We have his resources. Yes, we don't have a lot of strength and capacity in our own self to do that. We don't. 
I was very, 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 very impatient before I came to know the Lord. And I'm a lot more patient now than I was then, for sure. But the thing is, we have, we're without excuse because God tells us to forgive. He tells us to be gracious. And we don't sense that we have the capacity to do that oftentimes. It's not in me. I've had people tell me that. I've said that about myself. I've prayed to God, God, this isn't in me. I can't do it. And he encourages me. I know, but you have my resources. Turn here for a moment to Colossians chapter 3. Keep your place. We'll be coming back to Proverbs 18. But turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Paul speaking to the church of Colossae, inspired by the Spirit. And I want to begin reading in in, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, that's a very important therefore, in light of everything that we just read, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, beloved, put on tender mercies, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, which means power under control, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also, notice the next word, must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Look at all that he says. Bearing with one another, verse 13, bearing with one another. That means putting up with. That's the New King James Version of saying, putting up with one another. But they are supposed to be a Christian. They name themselves to be a Christian. And why should I have to put up with them? This is church. I have to put up with people out in the world. But this is church. Why do I have to put up with people? Because people, you know, when we got saved, we didn't get rid of our sinful natures. I wish we did. And there are different levels of maturity. And, And we can choose to do the wrong thing at any time. God calls us to put up with one another, to bear with one another, forgiving one another, assuming the best, hoping what's best, believing the best. Being very dif- it's very difficult, it should be, for us to be offended. We should just be so gracious. It doesn't mean we don't speak the truth in love. It doesn't mean that we don't come to them if they've hurt us and everything, but doing it in humility and love and being gracious. We should be overlooking far more things in the body of Christ. And I'm talking to me too. 
We should look, we'll be looking far more things and not having those things stumble us because they get in the way of us working in unity together. That's why he says at the end of verse 15, you are called in one body. When our bodies, physical bodies, are not in, it's not in unity with each other and that's fighting against each other, we're not going to last very long physically and live very well. It's the same way spiritually. If we're fighting and backbiting and gossiping or not forgiving or being easily offended or assuming the worst about people, then how can we work together? Amos chapter 3 verse 3 says, how can two walk together unless they're agreed? We have to be in complete unity and love. But God knows that we still have our sinful nature. We still are going to offend each other. We're still going to do stupid things. We're still going to say stupid things. We're going to say inconsiderate things. He, it's like he's inoculated us by the Holy Spirit, through his word, by his grace, to be able to have the capacity at any moment to just call upon his grace and his love and his forgiveness power that he gives us and to forgive people and help them and just move on and overlook because we think that people don't have to do that with us. <laughs> they do. They have to bear with you. They have to put up with you. And that's why it's important for us to not be hypocrites when we come among each other and put on a mask and pretend like we're something that we're not. We need to be who we are. And we, the only way that we can feel comfortable to do that is if we know people are going to be gracious with us and encouraging and helping us and, and, and bearing with us as we continue to grow. If this isn't an environment of, of where people can make mistakes and where people can fail and where people can fall short, then we are actually creating an environment where it's virtually impossible to grow into mature believers. Do you agree with that? It's true. We have to be gracious. We have to be loving and forgiving. Let's turn back to Proverbs chapter 18. Verse 20. A man's stomach, so you got my attention there. (laughs) A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. Think about this. This is, again, more of the tongue. From the fruit of a man's mouth, a person's mouth, that will be satisfied. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. So the things that we say, yes, it is true that the things that we say will, if we're biblical and we're honest and we're godly and we do honest dealings with people and our businesses and our places of work and all of that, that will translate, generally speaking, into prosperity, financial prosperity. He's also talking about other things as well. It's not just limited to that. It's talking about everything. But there is an aspect of this that has to do with being physically satisfied. With food, with sustenance, with all the things that we need in life as we do the right thing with our mouths. And so it's just, again, one more verse where we need to take it to the Lord and say, Okay, Lord, examine my life. You said that, you'll, that we'll have to give an account for every idle word. So every unprofitable, useless word that I say, help me to curtail that and to reduce those things and help me to be very careful about what comes out of my mouth because I'm going to have to give an account for it. And he continues with the tongue there in verse 21. He gets real serious here. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. How much power do we have with our tongues? 
a lot. This isn't just hyperbole here. This isn't just poetic writing here. We actually affect people's eternal destinies by what we say. Jesus talked about his disciples having the keys to the kingdom. And that's talking about saying where a person is in agreement with my word about confessing Jesus and believing the right things and all those things, we can authoritatively say you're on your way to heaven if you believe that and you're sincere. If someone rejects that, we can say you're not, you're not on your way to, to heaven. We have that authority as believers. But we can hurt someone so deep by what, the, what, what we say and, and, and the implications of what we say at any given time. We have so much power and influence. The scope and the sphere of our influence is quite astounding. If we just stop and think about it for a moment. The kind words that we say, the encouragement that we say, the small little things. And we forget how bad this world is and how no one says hardly anything that's building people up out there. It's very rare. Just say, I hope you have a great day today if you're at Rayleigh's. And watch what happens. They'll just, how is just going to charge you for a bag? You know, and, 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 and you're just, you're wishing me that I'll have a great day. I mean, they're, they're shocked by it. It's just the smallest little things. Our families, our children, what we say to them, how we can hurt them, how we can do things that work against what God wants to do in their lives. We, can, we have to be very, very careful because we have so much power in what we say and in our influence that we have. We have to be very much yielded to the Holy Spirit for him to give us the words in any given moment to say. You know, if you look at the Lord Jesus' life and what he said and what he taught, he didn't, he wasn't chatty. I mean, he wasn't, didn't say things, didn't say one syllable too much or too little. If you really look at all the scenarios of what he could have said in addition to what he said that you would think that he would say, he didn't very careful about saying just the exact thing that they needed to hear. It was just enough, and it was all that they needed. Verse 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Amen? Amen. All right. That is true. I married up, for sure. I can't think of a man here who didn't marry up. Amen. Amen. There we go. Amen. It's true. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. You know, real quick, because I know we're almost out of time, but I was helping Sandy's brother with martial arts, as funny as that may sound to you. I was over her house, and I was almost engaged to another girl. And I was talking to Sandy, and, and, and God told me in my heart so loud, you are looking at your wife. And I just stopped and started staring at her and she said what I said oh nothing nothing and I, I thought it was the enemy or something I was just like shut it out just like no I'm gonna marry this other girl you know I mean what are you talking about so I just forgot about it and then like six months later God told me to break up with that girl who I thought I was gonna marry and I was crushed and she was crushed and all that and and then I shared I remembered that little message that I got and I'm like oh okay Lord yeah that, I could yeah I'm okay with that if that's your will bring it you know and say bring it to God but you know what I mean like yeah and and then I'm like oh man I don't hope she doesn't find out but I want to tell somebody and I, I told her close friend made a mistake oh made a mistake <laughs> I had thought I had upper hand and I had no hand at all I had nothing 
because she told her, you're supposed to be a Christian. You're not supposed to break confidence, but she did, and she didn't tell her that she told her. So all this time I thought that, you know, I know this little secret, but she knew it the whole time. So, and I remember just begging God, give me Sandy, please. If I would just, I'll take care of her the rest of her life. Just please give, give her to me. And, and, and God was gracious. And there's way more to that story, but I'm not going to, I'm going to spare you that. But um, I can testify. I mean, besides receiving Christ, that's the best decision I ever made in my life. And so our wives are such a blessing to us and we just men treat those wives like they are the blessing from the Lord that they are not just on your anniversary not just they're a treasure they are priceless they are from God directly and he says there at the end of verse 22 you obtained favor from the Lord when you received your wife and and that is true I mean (laughs) that's one of the few good decisions in my life that um, has turned out well. So, amen to that. But I do want to point out one thing quickly, though. He says there in verse 22, he who finds a wife, singular, singular wife. Now, Solomon went out and got 699 more. You know, so he didn't listen to his own scripture here. Um, that means 699 or 700 mother-in-laws. I mean, I'm just kidding. But mother-in-laws can be wonderful. I loved my mother-in-law when she was alive and everything. But, um, yeah, he just went way beyond this. So um, I don't know what he was, he was thinking. Verse 23. The poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. And this is talking about, I believe, a person that doesn't, have wealth and is humble and doesn't have this false sense of security. I'm talking about the, the, the wealthy that trust in their riches, the ungodly type, the, those that are in that category. They think they have everything. They don't need to um, be wise in how they negotiate because they have money. They have margins. So if it doesn't go really well, they have money to make up for, for things and so forth. So they don't have to be as diplomatic as somebody that doesn't have a lot of money to fall back on when they're doing some kind of deal there. And so um, a, a poor man who doesn't have a lot of options and needs this agreement to happen will we'll use diplomacy and tact and all the things that you know, are, are wise to do, but a, an ungodly rich person that trusts in their wealth, wealth and doesn't re- realize that everything he has is from God will just answer roughly and not really concern themselves too much about it, not worry about it. That's the best I can come up with with that, with that proverb there. It's just use wisdom and, and, and tact and all that when you're negotiating. Verse 24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What a great proverb. I love this proverb. Now this can mean a couple things too. This can either mean your existing friends, God requires you, or it's wise to be friendly with your existing friends, to invest in those relationships, to give time for them, to um, spend time with those people, to not take them for granted. The other way, and I think this is probably more of what he means here, is that to, to, to gain friends and to have friends, you have to be friendly. You know, this has been a, a thing that 
people see all the time in life in different contexts where people want friends but they don't want to be friendly. Well, that's the first step towards having a friend is being a friend to somebody else first and not just demanding that they be friendly to you and be a friend and all of that without you extending yourself. Now, we understand it's painful when we extend ourselves and those things aren't reciprocated in the way that we should, th- what we think. But again, we don't know what their lives are. We don't know what's going on in their situation and all that. We have to be gracious and God calls us to be gracious, but he's called us to be friendly. And then he says at the end of verse 24, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is talking about, I believe, a certain type of friend the kind that is there for you no matter what. If you're friendly to them or not, if you give them time or not, they are locked on to you no matter what. No matter, through thick and thin, no matter what happens in life, they're going to be faithful to you. They're going to be there for you. Those friends are from the Lord, and God recognizes that they are a blessing. And, of course, he wants us to be that kind of friend to people and to be that faithful. And we, of course, we can't be that kind of friend to endless people, of course. There's only so much time for this kind of commitment. And, you know, um, we can't be close, 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 close friends to, you know, hundreds of people, obviously. And that's okay. But it's such a blessing to have those kind of friends. We need, those friends that we have, we need to thank him for and, and tell them that we appreciate them. Tell them that we're thankful for them. And then be that kind of friend to people and be faithful. You know, faithfulness and loyalty is something that's so elusive and not common in our culture today it sticks out it's always stuck out within among the people you know and among in out in the world and everything but um especially today people are so fickle they're not loyal at all they will ditch you in a second so they so to be able to be that kind of friend especially to an unbeliever and be faithful to them and you're you're in a context where you're going to have regular consistent exposure to them and, and influence with them God can use that so much as we are available to them to preach the gospel and to be, friend, to be friendly to them. Like I've said before, when you come to know Christ, you find out who your friends really are. Because you see, are they really unconditional friends or is it based on me being about what they're about and all of that? And you find out real, real quick. So really good stuff. Well, we'll stop there today. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for all your wisdom. Lord, help us to guard our tongues. We need your help. All of us need your help. So help us, God, to be very careful. Lord, speak to us. Wherever areas that we need to change, what we say, how we say it, to whom we say it, help us, Lord, to be godly in everything that we do and say. Help us to be gracious. Help us to bear with one another. Lord, help us to be patient and gracious. Help us to not be easily offended. Help us, to, Lord, to just love with your love, which covers a multitude of sins, you tell us. Help us, Lord, to be the kind of faithful friend that you are, Jesus. There's no greater friend than you. There's no one that's better than you in being friend. Thank you so much, Jesus, for being who you are. Thank you for how amazing you are. We want to be your disciples in an increasing way. Thank you for the privilege of living a different kind of life for you. In Jesus' name, amen.